Welcome to the Well Community Church Podcast. For more information on us and our mission to help people connect to God and to each other in every neighborhood, check us out at thewellcommunity.org or on our app, The Well Friends. Well, good evening, church. How are you guys? How was your Thursday? You've passed, you're like you've crested the hill of the week, you're on the downhill side, we're making it, Friday's just around the corner, uh, so hope it has been a good week for you guys. Um, I'm Mike, by the way, if I have not had the privilege to meet you yet, I'm one of the teaching pastors here at The Well, and it is my great privilege to get to handle the word with you guys this evening. Uh, I don't know what your lives were like kind of growing up, maybe what hobbies you had. Um, I was a kid that was born in the 70s and uh, kind of had the 80s as my childhood experience. I did all the typical things that a kid in Texas would do. I, I played soccer, I did the t-ball, baseball, basketball thing. But one of the things that got like really, really popular when I was in, you know, third, fourth, fifth grade and moving on was skateboarding. Uh, do you remember Tony Hawk and maybe those names that we know is, is maybe today, the guys are still around. Well, those guys were like just beginning to get in it. The Christian Hasoys, the Mike McGills, the Lance Mountains. I totally nerded out on this, right? So I, I decided kind of in that third, fourth grade year of my life, like I'm in, I'm fully in, I'm going to be a skateboarder, right? I was getting all the magazines and reading about these guys and I got all the stuff that went with it, right? So I had the, the right deck. I had the Palin Peralta, like Mike McGill deck. I had the Independence Trucks. I had the slime ball wheels, like everything that you were supposed to have to be a skater. I had everything on the outside. I had the long hair that would kind of like flip around and like the attitude that went with it and all of that stuff, right? I looked apart uh, in every sense of the word. From head to toe, I was a skater. The only problem was when you put me at the top of a vert ramp, I absolutely fell apart. I looked the part, but I could not skate at all. I mean, I could get on a skateboard and I could push it down the street, right? And I could get from point A to point B, but anything that required any degree of skill, like anything that was necessary to actually be a skater, uh, I didn't have it. And it became very apparent to everyone around me, right? As they, they saw me from the outside and they kind of bought my story for a little bit until they actually saw me get on a skateboard and they, they had a name for me. They called me a, a poser. And as much as it bugged me at the time, right, as a kid that was insecure and and it dealt with all that, they were absolutely right. I mean, by definition, a poser is someone who's pretending to be someone that he isn't. And at the end of the day, that was kind of my skateboarding career. It didn't last very long, right, because that is as good as I ever got was to be able to to dress in all the proper externals. Uh, But when push came to shove and the things that were necessary underneath the surface, they simply were lacking. They weren't there. Well, tonight, as you turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3, that's what we're talking about. Poser Christianity, so to speak. Uh, Paul is talking in a very firm tone, uh, moving through this chapter, as we're now literally cresting the hill in 2 Timothy as well, now moving towards the end of this book. His tone is going to begin to change. Uh, and he's going to begin to speak through things that, that haven't yet occurred. You're going to notice a tense change in verse 1 as we get into it. Paul's going to begin to speak to things that are going to happen in the future. He knows that this, this letter that now he is writing to Timothy is his last, that death is coming. And the words that he, are, he is saying are of extreme importance. And he's going to talk about in verse 1 an evil, a present danger in Timothy's day that he's going to say, it isn't just unique to Timothy your day, but it's actually going to be throughout the entire church age. In fact, he says it's going to go from bad to worse. So the believers, Timothy, that come after you can expect actually more of the same. And in verses 2 through 5, Paul is going to outline 18 qualities 
of these false teachers, of these poser Christians, so to speak, that will culminate into one last kind of major quality. Uh, and his tone throughout this, again, is, is harsh. So turn with me here uh, to verse 1 of chapter 3. And let's read this together. He says now to Timothy, but realize this, in the last days, difficult times will come. This but is a, a contrast to what he just got through talking about last week. If you remember, as, uh, as Brad ended his message, uh, there were some, some men, some people in the body that were in error. Uh, but Paul said to Timothy, hey, listen, how you handle those people is going to be very different than how I'm going to ask you to handle these people in chapter 3. He said there's actually the people that are in error in chapter 2. There's actually a hope that they will turn to God, that they will respond. And Timothy, you handle yourself with godliness and you handle yourself as a pastor. Uh, there's hope yet that they will turn. He said this group of people that we're dealing with is an entirely different group of people. And he says in the last days, as you see that here in verse 1, that's the time period that we're in now. From the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ as the church age starts, all the way till now, we're in the church age, the last times. Timothy saw the beginnings of those, and we are still in that same period today. Every day after Jesus' resurrection, so to speak, is this age that we're living in. And Paul is addressing these things. And I want you to notice, again, this tense change. And you'll see it all throughout chapter 3 and even into chapter 4. He says in chapter 3, verse 13, uh, evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse. Again in chapter 4, for the time will come. So he's speaking of things that are future for Timothy, but are beginning to happen uh, even right now during his day. So he's speaking of this thing. And he says there are going to be difficult, literally troublesome times in, in your day, Timothy. And I want you to notice in verse 2, here's what makes these days that Timothy is living in particularly difficult. And here comes this list, this shotgun list of 18 qualities. He begins here in verse 2 by saying, For men will be lovers of self, a word that he only uses here, uh, Paul does. In fact, it's never used outside of Paul's language in the New Testament, only here. It basically means narcissistic. Uh, these men are full of themselves. They are their own world. They are their own God. Uh, their Instagram feeds are full of selfies, so to speak, right? They are focused on themselves and them alone. And Paul describes these men uh, as, as being centered in this maybe idea of humanism, where their standard is the standard. They are lovers of self. Not only that, but continuing on here in verse 2, they are lovers of money. It's not just the idea of being coveting and wanting things that aren't yours, but it's the idea of keeping things that you already have. Uh, these false teachers had a apparently uh, some degree of prosperity and they wanted to hang on to that and they were willing to fight for what they had uh, felt like was rightly there so they were not just coveting but holding fiercely onto what they had and as we continue here they are indeed as well boastful that word literally means empty pretender or a boaster we would get the word swagger from it they kind of had this air about them this this arrogance because they're boastful an outward manifestation of the fact that they are inwardly, inwardly proud or arrogant. In fact, that's the very next word that you see. Uh, these men are arrogant as well. It means literally to show above or to speak to someone as if they were beneath you. They viewed themselves, these false teachers, as above everyone around them. Not only that, but they are also revilers. That's actually where we get our word blaspheme. It means to speak evil or to be slanderous reproachful, railing, or abusive. So this is the tone of these men that they are communicating. 
As we continue on here in this list, you're going to notice, at least in the original language, the, the words that are mentioned here begin with the prefix a, like we would have in our language, like if I said moral or amoral or theistic or atheistic. It means a quality that they don't have. It negates whatever they're saying. And Paul's going to walk through now a list of things that these things, these men should have, a certain quality that the godly individuals would have that these men are now lacking, uh, a, a virtue that they simply are without. Notice this one. You maybe wouldn't expect this to be in the list, but here it is. Disobedient to parents, literally lacking in obedience. Uh, Paul believes, as the Old Testament does, that true godliness would show itself in obedience to parents, as the Ten Commandments tell us, to love and honor your father and your mother. These men apparently are not doing that. They are disobedient to their parents, as well as being, next word here, ungrateful. Um, it's interesting that that quality is mentioned among false teachers uh, they live their lives as if God isn't even around. They are maybe what we would call functional atheists. All the blessings that they are receiving, all the bounty in their lives that they are enjoying, you know who's giving it to them? Themselves. Because they're, they're humanists, they are self-centered, and they have no gratitude or gratefulness about them in any way. Not only that, but they are also unholy, lacking the characteristics of a moral purity. These are men who do not exemplify the qualities of godliness. Their lives have not been changed from the inside out. There's no desire to walk with Jesus. There's no overflow of a, an abundant kind of white hot center that would lead them into to worship and a life change to say, God, I want to pursue you. That simply is not a part of their world. They are unholy, lacking moral purity. And now in verse three, Paul continues again. This is a, a shotgun kind of ugly list. He says, you are unloving. Literally, it's the word heartless. You are hard-hearted, unfeeling, without regard for others. You, again, only care about you. There's no concern in your life for those around you. And because of that, you are irreconcilable. That's where we get our word truce breakers. Uh, these men refuse to enter into a treaty. They are irreconcilable. When difficulty comes, they simply can't be proven wrong. They won't enter into a disagreement with the idea of working something through. They refuse to work towards maybe a settlement or a grievance in any, any way because they are always the ones who are right. This is the quality that they exude. Malicious gossips is next. Literally, it's wor the word is the idea of false accusers. It's the word diablos. It's where we get our word devil. In fact, it's often translated that way. If you're reading out of an ESV, it says it's slanderous because that's one of the main things that Satan does uh, in regards to us, to God. We are slandered by him. Uh, these men are in the same way. They are diablos. They are slanderers in their speech. Not only that, but they are without self-control, without power over oneself. They don't have the ability to to handle their bodies and godliness. There's no control over themselves. They lack sufficient limits and restrictions on their passions. There's no restraint where there needs to be a godly, uh, self-initiated restraint through the means of the Holy Spirit to do that. This same word, by the way, is used in a positive sense in the New Testament. Uh, our elders of the church, according to the book of Titus, are told to be disciplined, right? That's the idea of having self-control. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
It's a fruit of the Spirit that the Spirit bears in us, right? That produces that in the lives of those that are submitting to him and walking with him. These men don't have that. They do not have the ability to control themselves because they're not walking in the Spirit. They are also brutal. They are fierce. Uh, Not tame is the idea. Savage is one way that this word is translated. It's the opposite of being civilized. There's nothing kind or civil about them. They go on to say, Paul does here, haters of good, literally not loving good. These men don't care about those things around them that are good and holy and wholesome. Um, The good things that that are true, that Philippians 8 says, that are honorable and just and pure and lovely and of of good report, they, they don't care about any of those things. And it's not just by the way that this comes from them. They feel this way about others also. They have no interest in the public good, no interest in social things for the betterment of people around them, no ability to get outside of themselves and, and contribute maybe to the, the things in society that would help others advance or be helpful to them. They don't do any of those things. None of those qualities exist within them. And Paul will continue in these next two characteristics. Uh, again, in the original language, it has the prefix pro in front of it, indicating like in a, an aggression, and an, uh, an inclination, or even a vice Look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4. He says they are treacherous. They have a predisposition, so to speak, towards betrayal. They are traitors. Um, the other two uses, by the way, of this word in our New Testament describe Judas, one of them does, who became a traitor. Same, same concept. Uh, the other use is uh, regarding Stephen and the men that were about to stone him uh, in the book of Acts for being uh, what they believed a blasphemer and a traitor to the Lord Jesus. Um, or to at least the Jewish population. So these men have that about them as well. Not only that, as Paul continues, they are reckless, right? They have a predisposition to recklessness. Describes a person who is headstrong um, in pursuit of a bad end, but literally cannot be convinced otherwise, under the influence or or passion of, 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 of their own bodies. Proverbs 10, chapter 14 says, the mouth of recklessness brings ruin near. Proverbs 13 as well says, he who is rash or reckless with his lips will bring terror upon himself. This is a quality, again, that these false teachers exude. Not only that, but they are conceited. That word is an interesting one. It literally means wrapped in smoke or wrapped in a mist. They can't see outside of the the world that they have created for themselves. It speaks of a person uh, who is so Uh, mesmerized by themselves, who is so impressed with who they are. They are puffed up and arrogant and kind of wrapped in their own prideful self-image, right? Um, It's used outside the New Testament to describe people who were overly impressed with their own knowledge. They were full of themselves, maybe is how we'd say it. And lastly here, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I mean, that's a list, yeah? This is not the type of list that we would want to see on our tombstone, like, here lies Mike, here are these things that he was, like, what a jerk, we're glad he's gone. Uh, we're not things that we would ever want spoken of us. And they are, they're hard things. I mean, Paul at this point, you kind of get it. He's like, look, I don't care. I am not pulling punches. Timmy, this is how it is. And this is something that we need to know. But I want you to notice that the kicker is still coming. The final quality of these men, that literally is kind of the, the crescendo that we are reaching to. Uh, Paul is still kind of holding one in reserve. But before we get there, I want you to notice something about Paul's prophetic prediction about what man will become. Is he talks about these qualities, both again in Timothy's day 
And he says, for believers in the church, you can expect these things. And in fact, they're going to go downhill. They're going to go from bad to worse. But I want you to notice what Paul is saying. Their their wickedness is certainly going to be apparent. Their qualities exude that, and we can see that. But their wickedness is not in a godless sense. Their wickedness is actually masked in a spiritual mask, in a religious mask. Um, It's not like this, this atheistic, satanic worship, like, left field type of thing. They're masking this in a religious sense. And as a result of that, in verse 5, Paul's going to tell Timothy, listen, there's something that you actually need to avoid uh, because of these men, because of their qualities. I'm not asking you to engage with them, Timothy. You actually need to avoid them. And in verses 6 and 7, he's going to say the reason that you need to avoid these men is because what they're about is actually devious, and they are destructive. They are a bomb. And when it goes off, it's going to destroy everyone around you. So this isn't something you play with. This isn't something you enter into dialogues about with these men. You don't try to convince them otherwise. They are simply unwilling to hear. They are hard-hearted. They are set in their ways. And not just that, they are devious in their intentions. And in verses 8, he's going to liken these men to two magicians that were mentioned back in the Old Testament. Two magicians on Pharaoh's staff who were actively opposing Moses and the work of God that he was doing through Moses to deliver his people out of sin and slavery and bondage. And he's going to say, these men, Timothy, that I'm talking about, they are just like Janus and Jambres, men who are opposing the work of God in that day and age as they are doing today. It is a hard reality. And he says, these men are just like them. They are enemies of God, and they are to be handled differently. Don't interact. You steer clear. Now, without looking forward, as Paul talks about the kind of the culminating qualities, he kind of opens the closet door, so to speak, and says, this is it. What do you think Paul's going to say? How is he going to describe these men? What, what actually is the thing that he says, this is the core issue? I want you to notice in verse 5, as he gets down to, to the last point, what's going on, and what Paul sees is so dangerous to the church. He says this, these men are holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. They are holding to a form. It's the word morphe. It's where we would get our word metamorphosis, where a caterpillar turns into a butterfly, right? It changes its form. It changes its outward appearance. It, it, it goes through this, this process. And Paul says they hold to a, a form, an out, outward external experience or um, appearance of godliness Godliness, by the way, Paul uses this word to be synonymous with with Christianity, right? Godliness is something that is birthed within us. It's synonymous with Christianity because it's the idea of understanding the gospel, understanding I'm a sinner, I need Christ, he has forgiven me, he's offered me uh, forgiveness of sins because of his death on the cross, and because of that, I'm going to live out a newness of life empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's what God does in me and through me. So godliness and Christianity and, and maybe Paul's language are synonymous. He's saying, so in a sense, these men are holding on to a form of Christianity, is maybe how we would say it today. And yet they are denying its power. This, for Paul, is what makes this issue so dangerous, so devious, 
and so worth these 18, now 19 qualities that we've just read about them. I want you to think about what Paul is saying here for just a second. Is Paul says to Timothy, the greatest danger, Timothy, that you're going to face from t- false teachers, the greatest threat to Christianity out there, is not Islam. It's not Buddhism. It's not Taoism. It's not animism. It's not even atheism. The greatest danger to Christianity is Christianity. Not the real kind, but those that take on the form, the external appearance of Christianity, and yet they deny the power that is underneath it. That, Timothy, is what you need to be concerned about. Because on the outside, they look the part, they act the part, they look all the things that everyone else around you would look like. They are literally wolves in sheep's clothing. They look like sheep, but they have gutted the inside of this this idea. That word power, by the way, that Paul mentions here, what they have stripped out of the inside, the word power has uh, has to do with God's ability to save humans because of the gospel. Listen to this. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the theme of the entire book of Romans, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to save everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Greek. So the power that Christianity has is sourced in the gospel. So what these men, in a sense, have done is they've dressed up like Christians. They look like Christians on the outside, but they deny the power of the gospel. This is what's happening in Timothy's day. And this is what Paul says, Timothy, you need to be so, so concerned. Because it's not just an innocent error. These aren't men that just got a couple things wrong. These are men who are actively pursuing this, this idea, and they are actively trying to take others along in this journey with them. Maybe let me paint a picture now 2,000 years later of what this would look like today. What does this look like in our midst? It would look like us showing up at a place of worship at a building that had a cross out front and it said such and such church and you walk in the doors and you see maybe pews or maybe tables like these and maybe beautiful stained glass windows on the side or maybe just kind of a modern building much like this and as you go to sit down there's a a bible in front of you maybe a hymnal and they they sing songs that mention god they may even talk about jesus there may be even some guy that gets on a stage and a robe or maybe modern clothes and he opens his Bible maybe, and he talks about Jesus Christ, and he says things that, that sound very familiar to unsuspecting ears. But places like this deny core tenets of the faith, that God is holy, that he is triune, right, that he's eternally existed in three persons, and that he is calling mankind to have been made now in his image to, to return to him, because mankind did something. We sinned. And the only solution to that sin is in the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. There is no earning it. There is no way that we can come back to God on our own. They would deny all of the tenets that believers for thousands of years have held to. They would deny the truths of the gospel, that mankind is dead in our sin, that we on our own cannot earn God's favor, that God had to do something on our behalf for us motivated out of his love for us to draw us back in, they would deny those things, the core and the heart of the gospel. Friends, if I'm honest, and and maybe this is a bit of an overstatement, I grew up in a church that was very similar to this. I don't think it was devious, and maybe in the terms that, that Paul is using about these men, 
But the problem with this idea is, is this. When I was growing up, I, I went to church, right? I sat in those pews. I sang those songs. I, I went at Christmas and heard the bell choir, right? I, I ate the donuts. I did all the things, right? I showed up in church. I heard that boring guy on stage teach every week, and I tried to stay awake as best I could, and I was familiar with, with Christianity. And then I got to college, and I sat down in 1994 at the University Union at the University of North Texas, and a guy said to me, Mike, do you know for sure if you were to die tomorrow that you would go to heaven? I said, yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm like 80%, probably. He's like, why? And I gave him my resume. Well, I go to church, and I do these things, and I'm, I'm not an atheist, so I, I must be a Christian because I go to this place that has a, a, a cross in it, and it says church outside, and uh, I, I went to... Um, uh, confirmation in seventh grade. I learned the Apostles' Creed. I memorized that. Got super impressed with that. I did that. Uh, and I gave him my resume. And he said, Mike, do you want to know what the Bible says about uh, what you just said? And I said, yeah. So the Bible says that your best deeds are like filthy rags to God, that there's nothing that you can do to earn or deserve heaven. He said, do you want to know what the Bible says about knowing that you can go to heaven? I said, yeah. And he walked the gospel. Through. He, just, he sat there and just said, here's who Jesus is. Here's who you are. Here is what you desperately need to know. And I was like, wait a second. How, how have I been in church my entire life and I've never heard the gospel? Not one time have I ever heard the message of my sinfulness and my need for a God to redeem me, that loved me and cared for me and gave his son for me. I've heard about Jesus like this guy. I've heard of him before. I've heard the stories. I heard he loves little children. Like I've heard all those things, but I've never heard this. So you know what I did? I called my pastor, and I drove back home, and I said, I, I want to meet with you. Uh, some yahoo at the University of North Texas just shared some stuff with me, and I need to know if it's true. And I sat down with him, and I basically shared the gospel with my pastor. Here is what this guy told me. He told me that I'm a sinner, and I'm in need of grace, and that I need Jesus, and there's nothing I can do to earn or deserve it. And all I have to do is believe in the free gift of Jesus Christ on my behalf, and I will know for certain that I will spend eternity with God. Is that true? Do you believe that? You know what his answer was? He's like, eh, you know, some people believe that. Literally. Some people believe this. Some people believe other things. It kind of was like him and hawing around it. I'm like, what? He, he completely denied the core tenets of the gospel to my face in that moment. And the problem with that is, is I got vaccinated to the gospel. I got a weaker form of the real thing so that I would never catch the real disease, so to speak. I thought I was a Christian because I went to church and did these things and because I wasn't an atheist, so I must be a Christian. But I never heard the life-changing message of the gospel. And this, friends, is what Paul is saying. This is the danger in the message that these men are bringing. And this is why he tells Timothy, in no uncertain words, have nothing to do with these men. It's a hard reality. And I want you to notice in verse 6 and 7 why he says this, why their message is so devious and so destructive. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never coming to a knowledge of the truth. He says, do you know who they pick on? They find women, specifically women that are new to the faith. Paul's not, by the way, making a statement about all women. He's talking about a certain group of women who didn't have the theological and biblical anchoring because they were new to the faith. And as a result of that, they were like the, um, uh, the group of 
of animals that were traveling together and they were among the weakest at that time because they were new and the predator is looking to pick them off. These men are intentionally targeting them. They are slipping in and stealthily, uh, probably that word households, by the way, doesn't just mean physical houses, but households is also a different way to say gatherings of believers coming together, i.e. church. So they would come into churches uh, in homes, and they would find these women that were susceptible to this false teaching, and they would lure them away, just like a fisherman would throw a, a lure in the water and present it as something that looked real and tempting, but in that, that, that poor fish has no idea that the end of that lure has a hook in it. And as soon as you kind of got them following, you set that hook when they grab it, and now they are yours. That is the picture of what Paul is talking about here. These women who simply don't know better, Paul uses a similar term to describe them in the book of Romans, saying they, are, they have hearts that are unsuspecting. Literally, the idea is no evil. They are gullible. Uh, they don't believe that there is evil out there. Uh, and because of that, they are naive to this false teaching. And Timothy is told by Paul, that's why this is so dangerous. These poor women just have no idea, uh, because of their newness to the faith, what is out there. Uh, he says there are actually people out there putting lures in the water, hoping uh, that these women ultimately will bite. And Paul is admonishing the believer to, to be aware of this danger and this false teaching. Uh, these men are likened, by the way, to another group of men back in the day that we talked about. Look here at verse 8. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men opposed the truth. Men of depraved mind rejected in regard to faith. He says these men are ultimately just like Janus and Jambres. They are seeking to oppose the work of God in this day and age, just like Janus and Jambres did with Moses, whose main desire was to keep Israel enslaved to Pharaoh, that they could not now walk in freedom and a newness of life that God wanted to bring them into. These men were actively putting down the truth uh, that, that Moses was bringing them. But Paul ultimately says in verse 9, and this is where we'll conclude, he says, Timothy, I don't want you to lose sleep over these guys because in verse nine, but they will not make further progress. Their folly will be obvious to all, just as Janus and Jambres' folly was as well. As you hear those words today, we're still talking about Moses, but we don't know who these guys are. Uh, their folly, Paul says, in the same way, just as these guys were like a hot burning thing in a, in a moment and it's gone, these false teachers will go the same way. But there will be more and more and more that are going to rise up through time. They're going to have the same motivations in the same heart to lure Christians away, to lure people into a deceptive and dishonest view of the faith. And they look so much like Christians on the outside, but on the inside, they have stripped Christianity down of what its vital, most important thing is, and that's the gospel, the message of truth uh, of what Jesus has said. So as we look at this this, this picture, from Timothy's day till Jesus returns, Paul says there's going to be people just like them, and they're going to hold an impotent form, basically, of Christianity that looks bright and shiny on the outside, but ultimately, they are posers. They are posing as Christians, but they are not. And Paul reminds him, you do not interact with these men. You avoid them at all costs. Um, they are deceived by their father, the devil, and there is not hope for them softening their hearts and turning to God. So what do we do uh, with this today? How do we respond to this idea that in, in some ways Paul's actually writing to us? He's saying, Mike, in, in your day and age, in 2022, you need to expect the same. Uh, it's going to wear a different coat. 
that, 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 that wolf is going to dress up in a, a different sheep costume, so to speak, but you need to expect that people like this are going to be here. So let me ask you maybe two questions and then leave you with a thought. As you think about this false teaching in our day and age, do you have the biblical acumen to discern false teaching from real teaching, from biblical, honest teaching? Uh, I'm not talking about maybe the blatant stuff that's out there, but some of the stuff that's more deceptive. Are you able to, to listen to a sermon and go, you know what, that's solid. Uh, are you able to pick up a book and read it, uh, a book about Christianity and say, yeah, that, that seems right. Or, you know what, th- this bugs me. Are you able to look at your, your TikTok feed or your Instagram feed when there's these one-minute snippets of things that sound incredible and there's these, these passionate, gifted communicators that are talking about God or the Bible or whatever and say, yeah, that's solid or that's not. I think Paul in a lot of ways is admonishing us to be like the church at Berea that were more noble than the, 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 the Thessalonians that lived next door to them. And the reason why is Paul says they received the word with great eagerness, or Luke does, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were true. The things that they heard uh, from the Christian community, the teaching that they heard, they examined it through the scriptures. Is this right? Is this true? Is this consistent with what the Bible says in all those regards? The idea is that they're not just being fed by people around them. They're feeding themselves because they're reading the scriptures and they are knowing these things. And friends, here's the reality. All of us are susceptible to false teaching. I am and you are as well. Because often what happens in places like these, when these type of men come into places to to deceive intentionally, the characteristics that they exude often end up being passed on to their followers. I mean, as you think about this, this love of self, love of money, love of pleasure, those things in my flesh sound fantastic. And if someone said, Mike, God's all about these things, right? And he, he wants you to have these things. Boy, those are very tempting lures to put in my water, so to speak, that I would want to respond to. But sometimes it goes beyond even that. There's a sense in all of us that we actually want some of this. Listen to what Paul says, and we'll cover this in about a month in uh, this next chapter. He tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, For the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and turn away their ears from truth and turn aside to myths. There's something within us, within our flesh, that part of us that is not regenerate and walking with the Holy Spirit, that actually wants to hear those things, that our flesh wants to be gratified. And if we take that to its extreme, we will find people around us that tell us the things that we want to hear so that we can go gratify our flesh. We all have that in us. Maybe you've walked down some of these roads. I think about people that are, are struggling in their marriages, two believers that are, 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 are just having a hard time. And all of a sudden, my view of the scriptures is I think about what the Bible says about divorce, that God hates divorce, and he wants them to stay together and work these things out. It's very tempting in those moments with people I love to say, ah, maybe God just wants you to be happy. Maybe God really doesn't want that for you. Maybe now I need to, to bend the scriptures to, to fit what I'm seeing around me. Uh, maybe when I'm watching people that I love um, wrestling with a kid that, that, that's, that, that's, that's struggling with Uh, same-sex attraction or transgender or those things. It's very tempting and all of those things. Gosh, I love them and I love their kid. Uh, Maybe if I just bent what the scripture said in this area or found someone that gives me permission to do that, then, then I can love them better or care for them more, right? We all have those tendencies in us and it's so often when those things hit our lives that we tend to bend in those areas. But if we don't have the biblical acumen to figure that out, to put those pieces together, so to speak, 
uh, we're going to fail in those areas. And I think if we're not honest with what's underneath the surface in all of us, that there is a temptation in a lot of those messages to bend and to flex and to listen to those voices. So do you have the biblical acumen to figure out false teaching from consistent orthodox biblical Christianity? Secondly, if not, why not? Have you thought about uh, investing in that idea? Uh, we work really hard around here to feed you guys well on a Thursday night or a Sunday morning to prepare a meal for you, so to speak. But if this is the only meal that you're surviving on throughout the week, you're going to starve. Uh, we hope it's a good one, uh, but this isn't going to nourish you for seven days in a row. If we together are not actively pursuing Christ on our own, if we are not becoming self-feeders and spending time with the Lord, reading our Bibles, the Word of God, and saying, God, what do you have for me in this? Uh, what, what does your word tell me about who you are, about who I am, about my needs and my wants and my desires, about the things that are good and things that are, like, if we're not doing that together, uh, we're going to fail in that. Friends, we have so many avenues at this church outside of a Sunday to do that. We've got our residency program that meets three mornings a week that just walks through uh, a lot of the Old Testament, a lot of the New Testament. We just teach the Bible. Uh, the men that, that, that you're used to seeing up here, Josh Hawley and Mike Sersoni and myself and others, are just teaching that. That's an avenue for you. We have 500 women that sit in this room twice a week and are hearing the scriptures taught from Melissa Denisi and her team going through the book of Daniel right now. Um, there are women that are hungry for the word, right? We have summer equipping opportunities and things of that nature that, that we would love to give you exposure to. But more importantly in all of it, we've got to learn to be self-feeders. As Jude says, we need to learn to contend earnestly for the faith We've got to have the tools in our tool belt, so to speak, to do that. And I think, as I just maybe leave you with a thought, I realize that uh, in a church our size, uh, there's maybe some of you that came from places like this, right, that grew up in churches like I did, that maybe we wouldn't call deceptive uh, to, the, to the fullest degree. Uh, there were wonderful friends that I had in that place, wonderful, kind-hearted people with great intentions, uh, but some of you may have even experienced in your own upbringing an extreme version of that, maybe similar to what Paul's talking about here. Friends, if that's you, I hope this is a safe place for you. And I want you to know, we do not have the corner on the market. There are many churches in Fresno that would stand in places just like this and say, listen, this is the truth. All of those churches, we are on the same team. Not all of them, but there's a number of them that would preach this. One of the things that you'll see in false teachers consistently is this idea of control. Uh, we want to help equip you guys for the life that God has in front of you. Uh, some of you are going to be here for a season, right? You're in high school, and then you're going to leave and go to college, and, and then off, right? And we want you to have the ability to say, I need to go find a place of worship, and I need to have the ability to think through, what do those things need to look like? How do I discern that on my own? Uh, college students that maybe are here for a season, and then they're going to go back home. We want to invest in you. We care about you. Uh, we do not have the corner on the market here, but we want to stand with other godly believers and churches that, that would teach clearly the gospel and talk about Jesus as being our hero uh, to invest in you as well. So if that is you and maybe you've been burned in the past, uh, friends, we are not the answer, uh, but we know the one who is, and we want to exalt him. So I hope and pray that this is a safe place for you where you will hear consistent um, teaching that exalts the Lord Jesus Christ from a place that believes that this is the word of God and that will uh, not strip Christianity of all that it is, but will exalt the gospel and exalt the beauties of those things. So friends, let's pray and let's just uh, be mindful of that as we leave this place. God, thank you uh, for, again, just another uh, a warning from Paul of the, the realities that things like this are out there. And Father, I pray that you would give us as believers eyes to see and ears to hear. 
of the false narratives that are out there, the temptations in our worlds to, to bend and flex uh, from what uh, your word says. Father, would you help us to, uh, to be able to discern that on our own and through the spirit that lives within us and the sealing of the gospel, God, in our hearts, uh, that he would guide us into truth. God, would you help us to, uh, to walk uh, intimately with you so that we could do that. Father, thank you that uh, we are those that have been redeemed those that have put our faith in Christ, and that salvation is secure because of who you are and what you have done on our behalf. Father, thank you for those truths that we rest on, that we lean on, and that we trust in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining the Well Community Church Podcast. Be sure to check out thewellcommunity.org or our app, The Well Fresno, for more information on us, ways to connect, service times, and locations.